Thank you, Chris and Chuck, for leading us in worship, and thank you for doing so with the concert coming up tonight, Jeremy Camp, here at Jackson Academy. Hope you all can be there for that, uh, and I thank you all for being here. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series today. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, this sermon series, really, it's a, it's a series about what we're about here at Bellwether, and God's really convicted me to preach on, uh, on what we're about, what this church is about. What we're what we're here for, and as he's convicted me, he's kept bringing up uh, one word uh, over and over in my mind the past weeks, and uh, it's a very simple word, and the word is one. And that what we're about is that I want us to be about one, uh, one life that uh, Jesus goes to the one versus the ninety-nine, and he can change one life, he can save one life. Uh, that one person can be changed into a leader for him. And it's about one leader uh, being one church, being united, being united in a vision and a mission and a calling. And then most of all, and what I'm going to talk about today, is one Savior. That what is most important, what's, it, what's most important that we be one about is one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. And I want to focus today on that word, Savior, because, you know, you think about Jesus as Christ, and you think about him as Lord, and you think about him, that he rose from the dead, but he's also our Savior. And why I want you to think about Savior is I want to ask you a question, I want you to think about this question, in that what saves you? And that all of us, we have challenges, we have burdens in life, and there has to be something that saves us. There has to be something that, hey, this is why we're living. This is why we stay alive. This is why we keep pushing. This is why we keep fighting. Something has to save us. And I want to ask you the question is, what is it? And is it Jesus Christ? Maybe, maybe not. So what saves you? Here's some things that can save us. Relationships can save us. As in, and I love these relationships. I love these these buddies, this circle of friends, you know, you sit around a campfire and you sing friends are friends forever. You know, these just tight-knit relationships, they save me. Uh, or you can take it a step further and say these connections save me. As in, you know, if I'm in trouble in work or in business or emotionally, that I still have this network of connections that can save me. Or let's take it even a step further and talk about a status as in a level of society, maybe you're born into it, maybe, maybe you buy into it, but you know, and what is saving you is that, hey, I'm in this status. I mean, you know, we talk about relationships, but we live in a very status-oriented society. You guys know that, uh, that I love the Grove and love going up to football games, but hey, the Grove, and let's be honest, it's all about status. I mean, and, and you state fans, I hope you're, uh, I hope you're, you know, you can say now that I'll knock Ole Miss too. I mean, we, we don't discriminate against anybody at Bellwether. We knock everybody. Um, but hey, you know, you can be saved by relationships. You can be saved by connections. You can be saved by, hey, I'm in this status. You can be saved by this is my territory. This is my turf. That can be literally what saves your life. Or wealth. Wealth or money can save you. Maybe it's not money per se. Maybe it's the love of money. Maybe it's trying to acquire money. Maybe it's the things that money can buy for you, that it can give to you. Maybe money can buy you relationships. Maybe money can buy you status. Maybe money can buy you 
great experiences or a great house or great trips or whatever it may be, but you love the acquisition of money and that that is what is saving you. Maybe it's family. You know, I would love to hear that, you know, a spouse is actually your saving grace or that your spouse, you love him or her so much that he or she is saving you. But actually, more often than not, I hear about your kids, that people live for their kids and they live for their children. And yes, you know, you fall in love and you get married and then you fall out of love. And so many people, they live for their children and their children are saving them. Maybe it's your career, as in, you know, if I get to this certain point in my career, be it president or vice president or CEO or whatever, that that, that, that drive, that drive for a position or that drive for power, that that is saving you. And let me be honest, I mean, something we have to battle in ministry in preaching the gospel and what can save us is, hey, how far we get with our church or how big our church is or how many sermons you know, that we give in a year, how much we're preaching, or, you know, how esteemed we get. I mean, for us as ministers, as pastors, this can, this can sometimes supplant Jesus Christ as our Savior, is that this is actually saving us, as crazy as it may sound. Maybe it's education. Maybe education saves you. It's like, if only I'll go to the right school, or if only my child will go to the right school. Maybe JA, maybe it's prep. Maybe St. Andrews, maybe MRA, maybe wherever it is. I mean, college, Ole Miss, or Harvard, or Yale. If education, if knowing that you're going to the right schools is saving you. Maybe it's just happiness. Because you can add all these things up. And what is, what is saving you is just this, this desire to, to be happy. To find happiness. Whether it's through money, or relationships, or career, or experiences, or education, that you're just trying to be happy, and just this desire and this search for happiness is what's saving you. And let me be brutally honest. Let me use a, a very common situation with a single guy and a single girl. Let's say there's a single girl who is, who's wanting to be happy, and she says, the thing that will make me most happy is this knight in shining honor, and if I find him and, and love him and he loves me, then I'll be saved. And So let's say this girl says, hey, if I have sex with this guy, then he's going to love me and we're going to find happiness and I'm going to be saved. And then let's say this guy is over here and he wants to be saved too and he wants to find happiness. But to him, he's saying, man, if I have regular sex, then I'm going to get happy and I'm going to be saved. And so they do have sex. And then let's say she gets pregnant. And then all of a sudden they have a baby on the way. And then they say, okay, what can save us from this situation is if we get married. So then they get married and they have a child and let's say then they live for a while and say their marriage become, gets in the tank. And then all of a sudden, let's say they're in an apartment and they say, well, what can save us from the situation is if we're just on our own, if we have our own house. So then they buy a house they can't afford. So now they're broke. Their marriage is in the tank. They have a child. They've done all this to try to be saved. They've done all this to try to be happy. And it's led them, it's led them to this point. Listen, we buy into the lie, and it is a lie, that we feel that if we have the best toys, and if we have a, a peaceful existence with everybody else, and if we have exciting experiences, and we have the right relationships and the right friends, and if we have great looks, that equals happiness, and that equals that we are saved. And man, guys, it is, it's a lie, and we buy into it. 
We buy into it. If we look at Jesus, we have to see him as Savior. Not in word, but that he saves us. And it says so over and over in the Bible, over and over in Scripture, and that's what I hope you will see today. So we're going to look at a couple passages of Jesus as Savior. He was Savior at his birth. If you look in Luke 2, this is, this is known as, as the Christmas chapter, and usually we read Luke 2 during the Christmas season, and you know how much I love Christmas, and to me it's never too early to start reading the Christmas passages. Actually, it's, it's fairly late. I mean, it's October. So... Um, but anyway, Luke 2, 11, it says, For today, the angel said this, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This angel said to these shepherds, A Savior is born to you. And if you can imagine, think about these shepherds. I mean, they're out in the fields. These are poor guys. And, you know, I don't know what saves them. Maybe it's just, you know, them together being buddies. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, betting on the next sheep race or, or whatever it is. I don't know. But, you know, they need saving. And here's these angels, and they're saying, a Savior is born to you. Now, tonight, here, a Savior. Jesus was a Savior at His birth. Jesus was a Savior. He goes on as a Savior in His life. Let me, let me share another passage. This is in John. John chapter 4, verse 42. It says, And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Give me the context of this verse here. These were Samaritans who were saying this to the woman at the well whom Jesus had just talked to. And these Samaritans were, were outcasts. I mean, we can't, we can't really fathom um, how excluded these people were. I mean, we, just, we can't understand. I mean, they were... They were Samaritans and they were a disgrace to the Jewish faith and Jews just wouldn't have anything to do with them. And here was Jesus who hung around with them and who stayed in their houses and who ate with them and fellowshiped with them and who shared who he was to them. And they believed him and they said to the one with the wells that this guy is, man, this guy isn't just a great prophet. This guy is, is a savior. I mean, he is, he is the savior of the world. And they believed it. And their lives were changed because of it. He was a Savior in birth. He was a Savior in life. He was also a Savior when he rose again. If you look at Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, Peter, Peter, John, and the disciples, these guys were, you know, they, they were broken people. They were, they were fishermen and they were tax collectors and they were, they were lost and all of a sudden, they had Jesus, and then all of a sudden he died, and then he rose again, and they, they said to themselves, this, he is the one, he is the Son of God, he is the Savior, he can save us. And Peter goes out in Jerusalem to those who had crucified Jesus, and he gives a sermon, and man, it was just not a, a seeker-friendly sermon at all. I mean, he laid it bare. And look at this passage, Acts 2, verse 40. Peter says, with many other words, he testified to them, and he kept on exhorting them, and he said, Peter said, be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. Again, not a, not a seeker-friendly sermon, not a, not a soft sermon or anything like that. He was saying, be saved from this perverse generation, from a perverse generation. And you, know, you could say, well, you know, you're right. I mean, it was, it was so perverse then. I mean, you had... You had a Roman emperor who said he was God, and you had cults, and you had idols, and you, 
people worship these idols and they worship, you know, um, literally stone blocks and stars and it was, it was just perverse. But, you know, it's not that way now. I mean, really. I mean, do you think that? It was perverse then, it's perverse now. I mean, you have kids who are getting into drugs at a younger and younger age. You have kids who are getting into porn at a younger and younger age. You have broken relationships. You have people who treat divorce flippantly. You have people who stab each other in their back in business. I mean, it's perverse. And the message is the same today as it was then. The message is be saved, be saved from this perverse generation. And you know, these, these new Christians and these new believers and these first Christians, this first church of Acts, I mean, when they were, when they were saved, their lives changed. And you know, what, what I love and what I, what I see about these people is, you know, all of a sudden they were saved. They didn't go start like a new, new Christian reform party or, you know, they didn't go out. And, I mean, slavery was worse then than it ever was in the Civil War. They didn't do protests or anything like that. And they didn't revolt up against the Roman Empire. All they did was that they loved Jesus and they confessed him as Savior and Lord and their lives were changed and you just had a spiritual overflow and it just poured forth out of their life. And out of that, I mean, yes, they built churches, they built cathedrals, they built hospitals and schools. I mean, they literally changed the world just by knowing Jesus as Savior, just by believing in him as Savior. And it was that spiritual life. It was that internal life. It was, it was being saved that, that changed them and then changed the world. Guys, look at it like this. In our world today, it's like the house is on fire and the house can't be saved. I mean, it is, it is blazing. It is an inferno. The house is lost. The house can't be saved. You can be saved. You can be saved. And, you know, it's, I just want you to know that. I want you to think that. I mean, the world is, the world is full of a lot of stuff. The world is, is perverse. Then it was now. I mean, the house is lost, but, but we can be saved. We can be saved. How? By Jesus Christ. By believing in him by accepting him as Savior. That's what those first Christians did. And they did it where they started living a life as him as Savior, and they started living and they started obeying God rather than men. They started obeying Christ as Savior rather than what the world tells them. They knew that, hey man, the house is on fire, but we can be saved. And, you know, it would create a new person, a person who is, you know, instead of being selfish is unselfish. Instead of holding grudges, we'll forgive. And you'll be saved. One other passage I want to share with you. Peter and John, this is in Acts 5. Acts 5 verse 29. and It says, Peter and the apostles answer, we must obey God rather than men. They're talking to uh, the leaders, talking to the Sanhedrin. And he says, we must obey God rather than men. They've called him before them. The God of our fathers who raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
Man, they knew that he was Savior. They knew they'd found their Savior. And they're saying now, man, we obey somebody different. We don't, we don't obey men anymore. We don't obey this world anymore. We obey Jesus Christ who saved us. So many of you guys, I know so many of you are, are aiming for the world. I know you're aiming for those other things that save you. Maybe it is wealth. Maybe it is the right relationships or connections. Maybe it is status. Maybe it is experiences. Maybe it is education. I don't know what it is, but you're aiming for it, and you want this world. And, you know, I have to confess, I'm not a, uh, not a natural hunter. Um, you know, I like going out there every now and then, going hunting, you know, talking some, some trash with the guys. But it's not, it's not in me. It's not like who I am. It's not my, my DNA. But, you know, one thing I've been, always been told when I've gone hunting, whether it's dove hunting or, or duck hunting, where, when it's birds, is someone always say, hey, aim right before the duck. Aim right in front of the dove. Because if you aim right at it, if you aim right at it, you're, you're going to miss it. But if you aim right before it, you're going to be more prone to hit it. And it's so much like that in our lives. I mean, if we're trying to get the world and we're, we're aiming for the world, and we aim at the world, and man, we're going to miss it. And we aim at those things, whether it's wealth or relationships, even family, a career. If we just aim at that, man, we're, we're not going to be saved. If we aim at something ahead of that, if we aim at something before that, which is Jesus, then we'll hit it. We'll be saved. I hope you'll aim at something before this world. I hope you'll aim at something that is greater than this world. I hope you'll aim at something that goes ahead of this world. And that's Jesus. And yes, you will be saved. I believe we're on track for that. I believe as a church where people are people are searching for a Savior. I believe here people are searching for a Savior. I can see it. I can feel it. They want something different. They've gone and they've tried these other things and uh, they know it's not working. They know it's not saving them. So you know what, Bella, what I really, what I really want is as we're growing, and God's convicted me to say this, and man, I, I almost, I almost didn't, but I'm, I'm going to say it. Uh, I want two types of people to be here as we grow. Two types of people. One type is a person who, man, they're searching for a savior. They know that these other things, they, these other things won't save them, and they've tried them, and they think maybe Jesus can save them, and so they're. They're looking at Jesus and they're thinking about Jesus and maybe they're looking into his word. Maybe they're praying a little bit more. And so they're just trying to find Jesus and they come here. And look, it's okay to question. It's okay to have those questions or it's okay to have those doubts. We want, we want you here and we want you to at least be searching for the Savior who is Christ. But that's one person who's not sure, who's not sure, but they're still searching and the other person I want to be here is the one who, man, they have found their Savior. He is Jesus. And, man, they're trying to live for Him. They're trying to follow Him with all they have, with all they do, with their, all their being. I want those two types, those two types of people to be here at Bellwether. But see, what you get is, what you get in a lot of churches, is that you have people who say, hey, Jesus is my Savior. They confess Him. But really and truly, from the way they live, from the way they act, He is not their Savior. Something else is their savior. They're, they're looking at something else to save them. Maybe it's those things I mentioned. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. 
But they say Jesus is his Savior, but really and truly, if you get deep down into their heart and soul, he is not their Savior. And what I've been convicted to say and what I've almost have not said is that, you know, here at Bellwether, I mean, just if you want me to be totally honest, and I say this in all love, if you say Jesus is your Savior, but he's really not your Savior, I mean, I would rather you leave. I'd rather you leave for a while and maybe come back when you're either open and honest to say, hey, I'm either questioning Jesus is my Savior, but I'm searching for him, or man, he is my Savior, and I'm trying to live for him with everything I've got. Those are the two types of people I want here. But if you're saying he is your Savior and you know he's really not, I would rather you not be here. Because see, if you're here and you say he's your Savior and you're living like he's not, you're going to affect both of those other types of people. Because those who are searching for a Savior are going to see you and they say, man, this isn't legit because they say he's their Savior. But, I mean, I can see that he's not. And then for those who found Jesus as their Savior, they look at this type of person and they say, man, he says that Jesus is his Savior, but, but I can see that he's not. And I mean, it, it disheartens them too. So you're actually bringing down people when you say Jesus is your Savior, but he actually isn't. Again, man, I mean, I, I say that in all love and, you know, it's not that we don't want you here. We want you to come back. We want you to just be honest. Say who you are. Either you're searching for your Savior or you found your Savior and you're trying to do everything you can just to live for Him. One other verse, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is John writing to the early churches. This is the message of the church. We have seen and testify the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This verse should go behind all missions that we do. Everything we do, whether it's in family or youth or worship or missions, everything we do we should say, hey, this is because we have seen and we testify that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We need saving. We need saving. We need saving for eternity. I mean, we need saving from hell, a literal hell, a real hell. I'd like to ask you that question. If, if you're here and if you are a Christian, if you believe in Christ, do you believe in hell? I mean, I think that's a valid question. I think some of us as Christians, and I use us there, I mean, it's hard to fathom hell. We may say we believe in the Bible, but I mean, do you really believe in hell? Because I think if we really believe in hell, if we really believe that hell exists, I think we would live our life differently. I think we would invite more people to church. I think we would have more of a passion to share our faith with those who don't know Jesus because there is a hell and people go to it. And man, what it says in Scripture about hell is, is not good. I mean, it says there's eternal suffering. It says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, it says that, man, there's, there's pain. There's, there's torture. And we need saving from that. People need saving from that. Jesus can save you from hell. Do you believe in heaven? I mean, yes, of course we believe in heaven. But I mean, no, do you really believe in heaven? Because I think if we really believe in heaven, I think if we really believe how great heaven was, we would live our life differently. The psalmist says, David says, you know, he says, a thousand days on earth can't compare to one day in heaven. I mean, think about it. A thousand of your greatest days when your child was born or when you were married or when great things happened in your life, great experiences, a thousand of those days can't compare to one day in heaven. 
I mean, if, if we believe in heaven, I mean, it, really that type of heaven, I mean, we live differently. Here's what I mean. Do you live as in this life, this life, whether it's from birth to 80 or birth to 60 or birth to 50, that this life, do you live it as it is your eternity? Or do you live as if eternity is your life? There's a big difference. I hope we live, I hope we live as eternity is our life, that there is a heaven or hell, and that we spend the rest of our life in that eternity. And Jesus can save us, and then we can spend all our life, eternity, with him. Last story. Read this story this week. Imagine a, uh, a fish, strong fish, a healthy fish, and he's swimming, and this tidal wave throws the fish onto the beach. and So he's laying on the beach. It's a great fish, strong fish, healthy fish. But he's on the beach, okay? What's going to save this fish? If we gave this fish a million dollars, is it going to save him? No. If we gave this fish a, a bucket of Coronas and a, and a Play Fish magazine, is it going to save him? No. The only thing that can save the fish is if he gets back in the water. And what I want you to see is, is we're like that fish. And when you realize that we weren't made for the beach, we were made for water. We were made for Jesus. He's the only thing that can save us. We need to get in the water. We need to find him. All this other stuff that we think saves us can't. Only Jesus can save us. We need to find him. Our true savior. The one. Some of you here, some of you listening, need a saving relationship with Christ. Save you from eternity in hell. Maybe to save you from a hell on earth that you're living right now. I pray that at this moment, this moment as you hear these words, that you will accept Jesus as your Savior, that you will know him as your Savior, that you will let him save you, that you will give your life to Jesus, that you will surrender everything to Jesus, that he will be your Savior, and that your Savior will be the one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that there are those here, I know that there are those listening who need a saving relationship with you. I know that they've looked in so many places and that they're trying to be saved by so many other things, dear Lord. I pray right now that they would enter into a saving relationship with Christ. I pray right now that their hearts would be open, that you would fill them, that you would flood into their lives, that they would realize that, that they need the, the saving water of Jesus Christ. I pray if, if someone, else, someone out there is hearing this, that they would pray this prayer. I pray if someone is listening right now who needs saving, that they would pray this prayer. And they would pray, Heavenly Father, I need saving. I've tried so many other things to save my life, and it's just not happening. It's not working. I believe Jesus can save my life. I want him, I desire him as Savior. 
Come into my life, Jesus. Save me. I give my life. I give my soul. I give my heart to you. Dora, I thank you that anytime we ask you, you're there. You respond. And I know you respond to people as they ask this prayer, as they say this prayer. And I know that you are in the process of saving them. Dear Lord, we give you thanks that we have a Savior, that we have the one, the one who unites us, the one who saves us. Dear Lord, help our church to be one in Him. Help us personally, as families, look to Jesus as Savior. Help us find Him, know Him, and love Him as Savior. It's in His name. Amen.